This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner-nominated Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Hacha! Hi, I'm Chris Hamer with Urban Pop out of Atlanta, Georgia. And you are listening to the Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Matt, well, you're listening to Joe and Matt, so stop listening to me. Do this. Sort of, sort of break, it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is my pleasure to welcome you to episode 168 of THN. We're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, July 2nd. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me on the Twitter under the handle at Matt Baumstein. When I'm not celebrating Independence Day in Des Moines, Iowa, with my buddy Ziggy Marley and the solid nerd crew at Mayhem Collectibles, I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog for Point.com. And I'm Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not leaving boring monotone messages on the THN hotline for the answer of the week, get over yourself. You would think that you like you you had never heard it. Get over yourself. I was trying to be quiet and not blow out my own mic my phone. My wife was taking a nap. I was being respectful. Calling in my answer of the um, week. Shove it. I am taking art submissions for the penciling duties on the Untold Tales of the Two-Headed Nerd. No, I am not. Yes, he I'm is. I'm the artist of the Untold Tales of the Two-Headed Nerd. Never gonna do it! And I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. In this week's episode, you're going to hear our reviews of Dicto Kirby Wood One-Shot, and Rocket Raccoon, number one. After that... DK Dubs. All right. After that, we'll review ten more of this week's new comics. Faster than North America can forget that they even had a World Cup soccer team during the ludicrous speed round, and then... We'll retire to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we've converted the place into a makeshift women's clinic for Satanic Hobby Lobby employees. And we're handing out yummy, yummy birth control while talking about next week's comics. And Topical then, reference. Got that right, buddy. It's another wild card show. Wild card, just had Yeah, yeah, last month. So this week, Joe and I will be catching up on the pile and discussing two titles we fell behind on. But before we wade chest deep into the cesspool that is this show, let's wish Tom Cruise a happy 52nd birthday. Damn. Just the other day. He old. And we'll shudder before the alien Scientologist magic that keeps him from aging. And then we'll talk about this week's big news. We got big news. Has announced that they will be publishing a four-issue miniseries tying in to the Fox Network's Sleepy Hollow beginning in October. The series will be produced by relative newcomers Marguerite Bennett and artist Jorge Coelho. I believe it's Jorg. Jorge Coelho. <laughs> Sleepy Hollow tells the story of Ichabod Crane. And it's Ichabod. <laughs> a Revolutionary War era operative that has been thrust into the present day to stave off the apocalypse alongside Sheriff Abby Mills. Bennett said she's been a fan of the show and its mythology ever since its premiere at last year's San Diego Comic-Con. The comic will fill in the gaps of the show's first season, just in time for season two to launch this fall. Matt, I love Sleepy Hollow. I love it. I kind of do too. So I can't help but be a little excited about this. What do you think about it? And... TV tie-in comics in general. Uh, okay, TV tie-in comics tend to be really stupid, but... Yeah, it depends. They right. can be. They can be. They t- when they do it this way, such as it's filling in the gaps in between seasons or something, it's telling a little story that's going to gently lead you into the next season, I don't mind stuff like that. You know? That makes sense. I don't want to see like... Oh, and when they weren't having this adventure that you saw on TV, they were having this adventure. And like, that's just more of the show. Right. You but know? I mean, that's kind of the point, right? Because they can't affect lasting change. No, of course not. The show's got to be the, the driver in this scenario. I don't know. I'm kind of torn because I just love more Sleepy Hollow, but I don't love tie-in comics that have you. no purpose. I'm with you. I think if, it's, if they use this cleverly, and they maybe give you a sneak peek at something or a little bit of information that leads to a mystery and, you know, later on in the season or something. Yeah, yeah. That's fun. Sure. And that's a little, you know, the little fan service, if you will, right. for the nerds. I will say that Marguerite Bennett is kind of making a name for herself. She's write, written some things here and there, and she wrote The Sexy Lobo, Villains Month Time. Oh, that's right. Okay. That's where her name first kind of came up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was a, a student of Scott Snyder's, and, and she got a bunch of work. 
James Tinian the Fourth also has a similar story. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but she's done some some stuff, and this is kind of a high profile assignment for her. The preview art they showed by the artist is really great. I saw that; it looks good. It, it's got a real trad more kind of vibe to it. It looks great. So at the very least, it'll be pretty. Yeah, I'll well, give it a shot. Boom Studios doesn't put out crap, you know. I'm getting, I'm trusting them. Sometimes they do, nah. but that's okay. We love them anyway. In TV news, the pilots for both the CW's Flash and NBC's Constantine were leaked on the internet over the past couple of weeks, months before they were set to broadcast. In the interest of responsible journalism and not internet thievery, Listen. The, <laughs> the intrepid Joe Patrick watched both pilots so he could bring you his spoiler-free first impressions. Joe, I've never stolen anything from the internet. <laughs> So I wouldn't have seen these. Can you please tell the listeners how these shows are shaping up so far? All right. Everybody knows. We've talked about it a lot in the months past. There is a ton of comic book crap coming to the airwaves. It's true. And some of it is bound to be lousy. Yes. Personally, I was excited for the Flash show because of a very, very strong kind of introduction to the character in Arrow. Okay. And I thought that the trailers for Constantine looked cool. The actor they got looked the part. At the very least, the trailer was scary. Yeah, right on. And so I was cautiously optimistic. Having now watched both, I can say that I think both shows are going to be a lot of fun. Really? Yeah. Now, I love The Flash. No. This is no. This is not a secret. What'd you do with Joe Patrick? <laughs> this is not a secret. The Flash pilot was... Pitch perfect in tone uh, to match the character's appearances on Arrow. He's Barry Allen, but he's not really, you know, Barry Allen as as comic fans understand him. He's much closer. He's I will. He's kind of a melding, to be honest, of Wally, Bart, and Barry. Really? So yeah, he's kind of dorky. He's awkward. He's a little Is impetuous. He, would you call him a psychopath? He's not a psychopath. Okay, I'm just making sure, because Arrow is. Arrow is a murderous psychopath. No, no, no. He's gotten much better. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> yeah, he's gotten much, much better. He left better. his body count behind him? Right. <laughs> so this is kind of a, a different take on Barry. He's still a police scientist. There's an element about- I like that. Uh, like his it. murdered mom, which is uh, Jeff Johns's plot from his run, Yep. that is present on the show. It is full of Easter eggs. Full of Easter eggs. And if they deliver on like 5% of them, it will already be the best comic book TV show ever made. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it was super fun. Okay. Very excited to see where it's going. The first villain is the Weather Wizard. Uh, Raise well, your hand if you ever thought you'd see the Weather Wizard in a live action television I program. I guess you got to start somewhere. Right. I was hoping for the slug. <laughs> the slug? Who's the slug? It was like a big black dude from the that's william chunk Mes oh pardon me chunk that's chunk pardon me he's got a black hole inside of him from the william messner lobes yeah like, yeah. yeah i love chunk constantine's on nbc yes it is uh much closer already in tone than it is than the movie was okay uh he's british for one thing he's what? blonde no really? right <laughs> right um a lot of the stuff from the comics is present in the pilot but then you know you realize that it's going to be set in I think Atlanta. Huh? Right. He comes to America to rescue the daughter of a friend of his. And I think that like, he sets up, he's going to set up base in Atlanta. So it's going to be set in the United States, which is kind of a bummer. Yeah. But I mean, this is a show for American audiences, so we'll, I, I can kind of see why, but we'll see how it goes. It had some genuine scares in it. I, I thought the effects were great. And it also had some fun Easter eggs for comic fans that... I wasn't necessarily expecting to see in a show based on a Vertigo comic. I got to say, NBC has been killing it lately. Totally killing it lately. I started watching Hannibal not too long ago. That show was amazing. Yeah, I just finished Super Hannibal. Super violent and creepy it's, it's, and fun. Yeah, it's The upsetting. Blacklist is wonderful. <laughs> I love The Blacklist. It is totally wonderful. I yes. watched a little bit of that Dracula show. It was great. It was Dracula. super cheesy and canceled. Great. canceled, but it was fun, man. Yeah, yeah. NBC's taking some real chances. I, I like that they're doing this here. I think they've realized they've got to keep up with cable, and the only way to do it is to get meaner, harder, more violent, Sure, you know, and do well, it right. Yeah, I mean, put a parental advisory on the front and say, kids, go to bed. Yeah, this is going to be scary. So one thought on Constantine to wrap up. I liked it as well. 
I'm excited to see where it goes, but it's got a little bit of the plucky girl sidekick syndrome. Oh, boy. Not that there shouldn't be female representation, but... I just don't think women should even be on TV. <laughs> I just... I don't want the adventures of John and his lady friend. Yeah. I want the adventures of John. Right. Loner asshole. Yeah. Right? Because that's Hellblazer. Yeah. He has one friend, a cab driver, and the cab driver doesn't even really like him that much. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and Chaz is on the show. He's American, which is weird. So there are changes, and and time will tell how it, how it plays out. Also, the lead actor is kind of uh, over the top a little bit in his like scene chewing. Oh, really? It, yeah, it's it, gonna... it only happens once or twice. Okay. Uh, overall, I like him. I think he really fits the bill. So I'm excited about both shows. I am not condoning that you steal them from the internet. All right, but they're out there. But I watched them so that you can go in with confidence. There you go. And say, hey, Joe Patrick says this was pretty good. The man is providing a service, folks. You're welcome. <laughs> and in other DC news, the publisher has announced that writer Jeff Lemire and artist Andrea Sorrentino will be departing the Green Arrow title in September. Lemire tweeted, quote, as announced, the September issue of Green Arrow will be the final issue by Andrea Sorrentino and myself. It was our choice to end our run there and move on to new things. Lots of exciting announcements coming soon, exclamation point, end quote. On his blog, Sorrentino wrote, quote, DC never asked or pushed us to leave the book. It was Jeff and my decision to close after 20 issues in a row and a closure of a circle, end quote. Okay. I put that in there for you because the first thing out of your mouth would be, DC did what? No, I'm not, I'm not at all. I uh -huh. don't think that's the case. They did 20 issues. That's fine. That's DC, a good run. DC has already announced the new creative team, which will begin their run with October's issue 35. Arrow, TV writers Andrew Kreisberg and Ben Sokolowski will take over the book's writing duties with Daniel Samper on art. The name is familiar. But all I could find were like he's yeah. done some annuals and and a couple issue fill-ins here and there. I think that's all he's really done. His art is good. Yeah, I think he's a new guy. In an interview with the LA Times, Sokolowski said, "quote We really want to bring the old school Oliver Queen voice back to the character. In other words, the opinionated liberal Robin Hood esque hero that has fallen through the cracks a bit. Our goal with this comic is to make it an echo of the TV series. It's a way to bridge the two universes." That being said, we're not trying to make this arrow, colon, the comic, uh -huh. end quote. I'm excited at the prospect of Ollie's return to a more traditional interpretation, but I'm not really sold on this creative team. I'm not going to be as nice. I don't think Andrew Kreisberg's ever written anything that I've liked, and I'm not looking forward to this. And even Jeff Lemire, who's done a, a really nice job on this Green Arrow, he really has. It's still, it's not my Green Arrow. No, and, that's true, but mm, they really turned that title around, and you can't They absolutely deny it. did, and I'm going to say he, they did the best they could with what they had. I don't like this Green Arrow. I don't like this character. I don't like where they've gone with him. I don't like that he's de-aged. I just don't care about him. Daniel Sampier's art is good, and I'm sure he'll be fine. Kreisberg has never written anything that I've really cared for, so I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm not excited. I'm just jaded on this whole thing, no pun intended, because it's not my Green Arrow, and I love that character <laughs> Green so joke. much. I love Ollie so much, and it just has not felt like my Ollie from day one of the relaunch. Right, and if they had stopped at saying, Andrew Kreisberg and uh, Ben Sokolowski are your new writers on Arrow, on Green Arrow, <laughs> I would be right there with you if that had been all they said. But these quotes from these guys, where they came out, they came out in the public and said, look, it is a failing... Or it is something that's lacking in both the comic and our show. Yeah, definitely. That was a that was an, in another interview where well, somebody and the show is even further yeah, from the character. Where, than when I, love. Uh, I think Kreisberg said specifically, it is a loss on the show that that the version of Ollie that we all love has been missing. Yeah, I mean, you've made the character less interesting. They've gone out of their way to make him less interesting. So if they are going to try to recapture what has been missing. I'm willing to give them the benefit of the, of the doubt. Sure, I'll try it. I mean, I just don't have a lot of hope. I agree that like I have not been a fan. If they can pull it off, that's great. Oh, you know what? I think he wrote Arrow. I think he wrote Green Arrow in Brightest Day, like the Brightest Day relaunch of Green Arrow. I think that's right. Where he was running around the star-shaped forest. Yeah. 
I think that's right. Yeah. I did not like that. No, it sucked. And they were totally going for the Robin Hood thing where he had like merry men and the lady in the lake was there and like, yeah, like full on Robin Hood in your face, Robin Hood. Right, right. So I'm torn. I want to give Kreisberg and Sokolowski a chance, but they've had a chance already. Yeah. So I don't know. This is kind of difficult news. Don't care. My green arrow's dead, I guess. I don't know. Doesn't exist. Wiped away. That's the spirit. <laughs> he went away. That's the spirit. <laughs> She's gone. That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up at the THN forums where Joe and I are giving gardening tips on how you too can grow your own little star-shaped forest so you can run around and play Robin Hood as well. All the cool kids are doing it. It's adorable. Every Sunday, the Trick Arrow Shooting Joe Patrick posts the question of the week in our THN web forum which you can find by clicking the link at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Joe, what are we asking the listeners this week? This week's question comes from our forums, courtesy of John Boucher, a.k.a. Johnny Booch, who uses the Green Arrow Mego head as his avatar. Nice. So I thought it was appropriate. Sure. What character do you think could benefit from a total reboot slash reimagining? And... How would you reboot them? Hey, that ties into my uh, blase feelings for the new creative team, huh? Yeah, right. Come on. <laughs> now you have until midnight this coming Thursday, July 10th. Good math. Thank you. To give us your answer, you can call and leave your message with your answer using Skype. Our Skype panel is 2 at a nerd, all one word. Or call the Ziggurat hotline 402-819-4894. Or... Send an mp3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com and join the illustrious mp3 crew. In all of those cases, keep that tight. Under three minutes. Under two minutes and you're a complete stud. Yeah. All right. Kick that around. Otherwise, you will get cut (laughs) off. Cut off. Either by Google or by Matt Bomb. It's true. Who is trying to provide a quality listening experience for all of you. That's right. I'm not scared of you. I'm not scared of your friends. I'm not scared of anybody. (laughs) If you need more time than that, feel free to write to your heart's content in the question of the week section of the THN web forums. It couldn't be easier. No. And remember, limit it to one character. One character. No teams. Nope. It's tempting, but pick one character that you think needs a reboot or a reimagining. Like we all know the Teen Titans suck right now, but we're not (laughs) rebooting all of them. It's review time on THN, where Joey and I perform an autopsy on two of this week's comics to find out if there was any foul play between the covers. Joe, what did you review this week? DK Dubs, the Ditko Kirby Wood one-shot from Fanagraphics, written and illustrated by Sergio Poncione. Woo. He Italian. <laughs> yeah, he is. It's a me, Sergio. <laughs> Here is your solicit, such as it is. Acclaimed cartoonist Sergio Poncione pays tribute to the, quote, holy trinity of DKW in this wildly imaginative book split into three chapters, with each chapter drawn in a pitch-perfect homage to one of his idols, a must-have for fans of these Silver Age legends. Not a single all-caps in that no. entire solicit. I mean, you could have maybe yelled DKW. That's more of like a, <laughs> an acronym, right? Yeah. DKW isn't so much a comic book as it is a love letter from one illustrator to the three creators that inspired him the most. Each chapter is tied together by a framing story in which the author describes the work of Steve Ditko, Jack Kirby, and Wally Wood to an up-and-coming artist. The framing sequence is surreal and beautifully illustrated in a style that is clearly a melding of the three inspirations. In the Ditko story, Poncione can only imagine what life is like for the man that helped bring Spider-Man and Doctor Strange into the world. In his mind, Ditko's studio constantly explodes with imagination, but in reality, he concedes that the studio probably hosts a solitary and intensely private man that simply wants to be left alone to create just as he asked for his entire life. It was heartbreaking. Oh. It was heartbreaking, and none of it is none of it is real. Like he's because Steve Ditko is a hermit. Right. All he can do is guess what it must be like for him. Wow. And every once in a while, somebody stumbles upon his office 
because they did some studious fan did some detective work and they find him and they and they come to see him and he doesn't have anything to say. He's just like, I'm just I'm just doing what I always do. Oh. And yeah, it's it was really a bummer. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the second story, Planet Kirby, foregoes reality for a world where the king's imagination lives forever and everything he draws becomes reality. It was awesome. Finally, the Wallywood chapter takes a more autobiographical approach, reading more like an illustrated textbook than a comic. Wood's tale is tragic, and Pancioni presents it with the reverence it deserves. He melds all of the different styles together perfectly with a monochromatic color palette that breathes life into the artist's black and white line work. This one shot is visually stunning in every single way. DKW was the first thing and the best thing I read this week, maybe even this year. When I finished the issue, I felt invigorated and excited about the comics medium and the possibilities it holds. It's a must read for every comic fan, whether you're a casual reader of comics or a comics historian like our man Jason Sachs. He's got a book out. He does? Oh, yeah. Sexier? You bet he does. I didn't know that. Yeah. Man. I'm so proud of these kids. Anyway, it's a buy it. I'm proud of all our children. Right. Not just sexier, you know. Matt, what did you think? I was unable to read it because the good people <laughs> of Fanagraphics didn't get it to us in time. To be fair, they were willing. It was just the holiday weekend. We could not get a second copy. And I sold the copy that I read and reviewed to a customer at Legend who appreciated it greatly. Just doing your job. It went to a good cause. He was just doing his job. So that's a solo review. And it's a buy it. I'm giving it a buy it for both of us. <laughs> oh, wow. So there, I'm speaking for Matt Bomb. All right. Matt, what did you review this week? I read Rocket Raccoon, number one from Marvel, written and drawn by the amazing Scotty Young. Here's your solicit. I read it last week. Rocket is back in his first monthly series and all hell breaks loose. Yada, yada, yada. It has been quite some time since we've seen Scotty Young do anything but covers featuring adorable baby versions of our favorite heroes. Puke. As it turns out, <laughs> Mr. Young isn't just Marvel's go-to guy when it comes to writing Wizard of Oz comics and drawing baby Avengers. Young's scratchy cartoon style lends itself perfectly to the Marvel cosmic universe, even if it's something we really haven't seen there yet, and even better to the character of Rocket Raccoon. Young brings the same humor his art inspires to his writing and injects some much-needed comedy into the usually all-too-serious cosmic Marvel story. From showing two bumbling guards arguing over who should pick up a bomb tossed at them to the plot of the story about Rocket's ex-girlfriends trying to kill him, Young packs this issue with humor and action, turning Rocket into an accidental chauvinist pig who loves wrestling, blowing things up, and of course, the ladies. I didn't know what to expect here, but Scotty Young absolutely crushed it. This was all of my favorite 80s action stars in the body of a raccoon in space, and comics just don't get much better than this. I remember reading Bill Mantlo and Mike Mignola's Rocket miniseries when I was 10 years old and loving it. I still own that mini, and Scotty Young has captured the same swashbuckling fun here. It looks like Marvel is all in on the Guardians of the Galaxy, and I could not be happier about it. This was just a ton of fun to read, laugh out loud funny, buy it. I totally agree. I thought it was great. It really was. The art is wonderful. I thought it was super fun. It was super fun. And I'm glad that it's in continuity and not like this all ages. Right. Not that it's especially mature. No, but it's, but it's also not, not all ages it's because it's ages, full but. of bleeped out cussing. And, right. And it's violent and it's just, it's hilarious and fun and cartoony yeah. and buy it. It's awesome. So that is a buy it for the Ditko Kirby one shot. Uh, it's a double buy it for the Ditko Kirby. <laughs> I haven't Wood even seen it. So no, you're not getting a rating out of me. And a double buy it for Rocket Raccoon number one. Of course, we want to know what you swashbuckling space mammals and underappreciated artists thought of these comics. So be sure to force us into an airlock and eject us into space along with your opinions over at the this week's comic section of the THN forums which you can find by clicking the forum button at twoheadednerd.com. We can't stop talking about it. Forms, forms, forms. Cool. They're just that cool. No! Time! Yeah! Yeah! Yeah!
U.S. soccer had its chance to become a sensation, but a Belgian ginger with a baby face killed our World Cup dreams. And now we can get back to the business of real American sports, like the Coney Island Hot Dog Eating Championship. That's right, America. This year, I'll be going stomach to stomach with the likes of reigning champion Joey Chestnut and new challengers Volstag the Voluminous, King Shark, and the Forever People's heavy homosexual hitter, Big Bear. He's not homosexual. He's married to Beautiful Dreamer. Why would they call him Big Bear if he's not gay? <laughs> hey, come on. Because he looks like a bear? I don't know. I'll give you that. He's big. He's fuzzy. You know, he like, he's gay. I mean, I get it. <laughs> All while we review 10 of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed. Go. Deadpool versus X-Force. Number one from Marvel. Normally, I avoid these ultra-violent Deadpool minis like the plague, but this time, Marvel really tugged at the heartstrings of 11-year-old Joe Patrick by setting this tale during the character's formative years. The timeline doesn't hold up if you think about it too closely. That would be really what does. There's a Desert Storm reference, and I get it. It's quote-unquote the 90s, but these characters in the timeline were not actually around for 20 years. Okay. But still, it's fun. Who Whatever. cares? Whatever. Who cares? Listen to you. It's a fun romp through Marvel history by Dwayne Swarzynski with gorgeous art. Gorgeous. By Pepe Larraz. Buy it. You know you want to. I can't believe that. Just I'm do it. Shocked. Look, same here. Okay. Robocop number one from Boom. This new Robocop series is set in the 1980s movie continuity and even features artist Carlos Magno directly photo referencing the original actors. Magno packs each I panel. It was based on the movie, uh, the remake. No, no. This is the old one. Magno packs each panel with amazing detail here, sort of reminding me of a Leonardo Manco almost. And along with writer Josh Williamson, completely captures the spirit of the first Robocop film. This is tongue in cheek, ultra violence, and if you're looking for a monthly Robocop read, you could do much worse than this. I'm giving it a buy it. Fantastic Four, 100th anniversary special from Marvel. Marvel has launched an interesting little mini-event that peaks a few decades into the future of their universe. It's a fun concept, and I love how they keep referencing events and titles that don't exist yet. Kind of like the Amalgam one-shots did, where it's like, see the adventures of Spider-Boy number 513. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not a thing. The art by Joanna Estep was really interesting, and it had lush and vibrant color. I can't really say that this is essential, but if you've got room in your budget for another book this week, I'm giving it a very strong skim it. Okay. Scum of the Earth, number one from Action Lab slash Danger Zone. Action Lab Danger Zone have been pumping out quality comics for a little while now, and this looks like another one. This story follows True and Laura, who might be inspired by David Lynch's Wild at Heart and Oliver Stone's Natural Born Killers, only this couple is a little more psychotic. The pair leave a bloody trail across the south, but the twist here is they're being tracked by a teleporting and possibly world-hopping robot. This is another tongue-in-cheek, ultra-violent romp with interesting art by Rob Cronenbergs, who reminds me of a more cartoony Ashley Wood. Not for the faint of heart, very violent, very nasty, uh, but a fun read for sociopath like myself. I'm giving this a buy. You gotta be kidding! It was fun. I thought the art was terrible. Uh, I thought it was kind of cartoony and cute. It was you know? cartoony yeah. and not in a good way. To be fair, I did not read it. I only flipped through. Okay, but I was not a fan. Legendary Star Lord number one from Marvel. Star Lord gets his own ongoing series, whether he deserves one or not. Sam Humphreys and Paco Medina do a fine job. And there were even a few moments that made me chuckle, but it never rises above just okay. There is literally no reason for this title to exist other than to cash in on the movie marketing, and I can't see it lasting once the excitement winds down. Skim it. How did Rocket Raccoon get so much publicity, and I had no idea there was a Star-Lord comic Right? I didn't even, like, when I saw this, I thought, maybe this is a one-shot or something. I had no clue. I I remember them announcing it, but it was, like, such a non-announcement. Weird. Uh, yeah, it, it was just... And he's in that... Look, the movie costume that he's wearing is frankly terrible. I understand it can't be the comic version, but it is like a red trench coat and blue jeans and boots and a gas mask. <laughs> he looks ridiculous. <laughs> and now he looks like that in the comics. You're welcome. Yeah, well, Hollywood. There you go. Oh, boy. 
Black Kiss Triple Xmas in July special from Image. When asked to define pornography, Associate Justice of the Supreme Court Potter Stewart was quoted as saying, it's hard to define, but I know it when I see it. Well, so do I. And this comic is definitely porn. But it's also very well written and drawn porn by legendary creator Howard Chaikin. This is a historical revenge story featuring a whole bunch of hardcore porn, but the story and the art are very well executed. It's hard to review a comic like this because I can't tell you that it's a bad comic book. It's gratuitous, yes, but it's also Shaken's brand of historical fiction that a lot of his fans love just with more wieners and boobies. So many wieners. Buy it, but only if you're not afraid to get caught reading a porn comic. (laughs) Read it in the dark. Tech jacket number one from Image. After your mom goes to bed. Yeah. Don't let your wife catch you reading this one. (laughs) Tech Jacket returns after a lengthy absence, and I'm glad to have him back. Joe Keating and Carrie Randolph take over from Robert Kirkman and EJ Sue, and they don't miss a beat. I like that team. Fun sci-fi teen hero action with great art. It's a buy it. All right. Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell colon Echoes number one from Dynamite. Writer Nathan Edmondson is perfectly at home here writing the somewhat predictable story of an ex-special ops soldier getting called back in for one last job that turns out to be more than it seems. Yeah, always. Artist Mark Lamming is doing his best Nick Klein impersonation, and he's good at it. This is a perfectly good espionage and military procedural comic set in the Tom Clancy Splinter Cell world, and if you dig the games, you'll probably dig this. I can only really give it a skim. Fearless Dawn, colon, hard times one shot from Asylum Press. Fearless Dawn returns with another one shot building on what came before, but don't worry if you haven't read the last one, or any of them for that matter, because as always, Fearless Dawn is completely bonkers. This is a wonderfully drawn celebration of cheesecake, sci-fi, fantasy, stream of consciousness, action comics, and it was a blast to read. It's a buy it. The art is legitimately gorgeous and I don't really know what's happening or I don't care but it's so much fun buy it Extinction Parade War number one from Avatar this one is being billed as a jumping on point in case you you missed Extinction Parade volume one which is a story of two female vampires and a race of vampires that are realizing that zombies have eaten all the people (laughs) oh what a drag Here the war starts in earnest, and this is a very well-written book. I just cannot get into Raulo Caseri's art, and it kind of takes me out of it. There's no other way to describe it other than it's very Avatar. Yeah, and I just, I feel bad, because this is a good book, and he is obviously a good artist. It's just not the kind of art I'm interested in, so skim it. That is your ludicrous speed round, and is the sound of Reverend Bob getting a little more than he bargained for on national TV, as seen in the pages of this week's Black Kiss Triple Xmas in July one shot. You know, judged by that sound, I feel like maybe you've gotten a little more than you bargained for at some point. In your We've life. all been there, buddy. That was pretty believable. <laughs> We've all been there. With this week's controversial Supreme Court decision to allow Hobby Lobby to deny birth control coverage to female employees for religious reasons, Joe and I decided it was time to take action. So we have converted the THN Sanctum Sanctorum into a makeshift women's clinic with the help of the night nurse and the pre-New 52 disgraced physician Dr. Leslie Tompkins. We'll be handing out piles of tasty birth control to the godless and satanic female Hobby Lobby employees that have been hung up to dry by their Christian conservative corporate masters. Joe, let's go unload this birth control truck. And why don't we talk about some of the next week's comics while we do it? I mean, why not? <laughs> Remember when Leslie Tompkins murdered the spoiler? <laughs> she didn't murder the spoiler. <laughs> she didn't treat her and she died. <laughs> no, she faked the spoiler's death. Oh, later on there is So that she, she could it. get away from the gang war. My pick for next week is Spread, number one from Image Comics, written by Justin Jordan with art by Kyle Strom. Here's your solicit. Ten years ago, we dug too deep. We unleashed something ancient that couldn't be controlled, something that couldn't be stopped, twisting everything it touched into more of itself. The spread. Gross. Humanity was nearly destroyed before we found a way to slow the spread to a crawl. Now... Deep inside the quarantine zone, one man has found the key to stopping it forever. 
a baby girl. And if he can save her, he might save the world. Hey. Looking at this, you would think that it is a cross between Lone Wolf and Cub and John Carpenter's The Thing. <laughs> Whoa. And it looks awesome. The art is great. It looks scary and violent. I'm into it. Justin Jordan off the rails. We know he can do it. Luther Strode was proof. Dead Body Road was proof. I'm excited for more creator-owned work from this guy. And I love this artist, Kyle Strom. Never heard of him before. His art is awesome. Cool. Matt, what's your pick? My pick for next week is The Life After, number one from Oni, written by Joshua Hale Fielkov, with art by Gabo. He is one name. Gabo, like, Gabo. Like Sting, you know? <laughs> Here's your solicit. In an infinite city built on infinite sadness, there is one man capable of breaking free. He will go through heaven and hell to save us all. Literally, a fantastical coming-of-age journey through the afterlife and beyond. From Joshua Hale Fielkov and breakout artist Gabo! <laughs> Gabo kind of has a style similar to Nick Patara, who is doing one of the covers of this book. His art looks really, really cool. And honestly, I think I'm a little more interested in the art than the actual storylines listed, but the story will probably, will probably be good. Hale Cobb's a good writer. So I'm kind of in this to check out this new artist. Quite honestly, I trust Hale Fieldcob, so it could be a fun read. I'm excited. I think it's going to be a good time. Hey, whatever gets you in the door. There you go. Real quick honorable mention, it took everything in my body and soul to not pick Spider-Man 2099. Me too. I like <laughs> fought. I was like, no, Matt. <laughs> You're not doing it. I am, I am very, very excited for that book. I think it's going to be. But fun. there's going to be a lot of great books. It doesn't need our help. Yeah. The THN trade of the week is Rocket Girl Volume 1 Times Squared from Image Comics, written by Brandon Montclair with art by Amy Reader. Here's your solicit. Right priced at a special low introductory $9.99. <laughs> a teenage cop from a high-tech future is sent back in time to 1986 New York City Day Young Johansson is investigating the Quintum Mechanics Mega Corporation for Crimes Against Time. As she pieces together the clues, she discovers the future she calls home, an alternate reality version of 2014, shouldn't exist at all. This collects Rocket Girl 1 through 5. It's 10 bucks. Two bucks an issue, man. Can't argue with that. Image is great about getting their books into the hands of new readers with these cheap trades. Yep. Check it out. It's beautifully drawn. I do feel like it took a really long time for five issues of this to come out. It did not come out very quickly. Yeah. That's true. But here's a good chance for you to check it out. Number six will be out in the fall. You'll be all caught up. After you're done with your family planning, whether your church or mega corporation likes it or not, hit us up with the comics you are excited to read over at the THN forums. Just like you, Matt and I have piles of neglected comics laying around that we'd love to read, but life, video games, binge TV watching, and stupid work, stupid work, seem to always get in the way. All of those things happened to me this week. Yeah. So, by the way, the new Wolfenstein game, it's awesome. That's what I heard. <laughs> so every now and again, we host a segment called Catching Up on the Pile, where we dive into series we fell behind on to see if it's worth sticking with or headed to the quarter box. Matt, tell the kids what you caught up on this week. This week, I caught up on all new X Factor, written by Peter David, with art by Carmine D. Giandomenico. You may recall... We reviewed all new X Factor number one months and months and months ago, roughly 10 months ago. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Issue 10. And I liked it. I thought it was fun, but maybe not the best thing I'd read by Peter David. I admit, I read a couple more issues and stopped, and they began to pile up after that. Because I love Peter David so much, I would continue to grab these comics. I really started again with issue four. Now, just to bring everyone up to speed, in all new X Factor... X-Factor is working for a corporation called Serval Industries, which is sort of run by like an Elon Musk type character where he's a big time corporate CEO, but he's actually a pretty good guy. And he has... Or is he? Yeah. Well, up till now, he's been a pretty good guy and he seems to have the world's best interests in mind. I started with issue four, which was the end of the storyline about one of Gambit's swarthy thieves guild buddies. Nil, who stole $10 million from the Serval Corp with the help of a reprogrammed Danger, the living embodiment of the Danger Room, 
who we first met in Joss Whedon's Astonishing X-Men run. So, of course, Polaris, Quicksilver, and Gambit to the rescue. I kind of hate the idea of X characters, who are some of the most powerful characters in the Marvel Universe, just being forgotten. Like, nobody noticed Danger wasn't around. She's a (laughs) super intelligent robot that can project hard light holographs. I mean, she's the Danger Room, essentially. She can. She also, was built by the Shi'ar. She's alien technology right. come to life. She can also take over other machines and stuff at will. So she's pretty damn dangerous. You would think someone was keeping tabs it's on her. It's in the name. <laughs> yeah. I've also never cared much about Gamut's history as the king of the Thieves Guild either. Even the idea of a Thieves Guild is kind of stupid, in my opinion. Other than building the team, not much else happened except for Gambit returning a reprogrammed murderous danger to her senses with a kiss. Yep. He kissed the robot and made it better. (laughs) This was not a strong start to this series, but I will say very, very cool art by Carmine DJ on Domenico, who I'm trying to think who he reminds me of. He reminds me of Giuseppe Camincoli. Yeah. You know what? He does. You're right. They have very similar styles, both Italian too. And they came around the same time. They both did show up around the same time. Much like the characters trying to find their footing as a corporate superhero team, David also seems to have been trying to find a voice for the team. And by issue six, he absolutely did it. It took four kind of crappy issues to get there, unfortunately. And I understand if several of you jumped off the story there. It almost seemed to me like he was making an attempt to sort of write a very generic sort of X action book to rope you in. But for fans of Peter David, like me who show up for the real human relations that he builds in his team books and the real emotion that he brings to his characters, it just wasn't present. And then after we got through that storyline, that started coming out again. I haven't liked Polaris for years and it's mainly due to how she was always written as a psychologically damaged character constantly putting whatever X team she was in at the time in danger with her emotional BS. They couldn't decide if she was crazy or not. Yeah, she was just broken and always in trouble, not to mention wearing some of the worst costumes you've ever seen. Polaris has had it real bad. (laughs) Man, Here, Polaris is strong, intelligent, and a morally conscious team leader, and I really like her like this. The only person to ever write Polaris in a compelling way is Peter David. Because I think that's totally a fair statement. She was, uh, she was front and center of his original X Factor yeah. run in the '90s, and she was great. And she was great then. Yeah. I also like how Peter David is not ignoring the fact that she has been nuts for a really long time, and he has Quicksilver reporting to Havoc, who is running around with the Avengers, uh-huh. on what Polaris is doing. That's awesome. How she is, and because he's Quicksilver, he's like, "I'm gonna go to the bathroom real quick. I'll be right back." Bang! Runs in, you know, like <laughs> runs to New York, and he's like, "All right, here's what's going on." Yeah, da, 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 da. I gotta go. Runs back. Bang! And he's like, "I'm just finishing brushing my teeth," you know. <laughs> I really had to take a crap. <laughs> yeah. And David's dialogue between Polaris and Quicksilver is just fantastic. It usually results in the two fighting like siblings, and it's easy to forget that they have the same dad. Nice. <laughs> I look. I hate that. I hate it. Do you really? I do. Um, because for years she wasn't. Right. Like when she first appeared, they thought she was Magneto's daughter. And then they came out and said, she's not. She's yeah. not Magneto's it daughter. It turned out she wasn't. And she's, then it turned she out Magneto she was. And then Grant Morrison decided, you know what? She is Magneto's daughter. And now that's what we're stuck with. I always just liked her as being separate from that, uh, not a part of that nonsense. I guess it doesn't bother me that much. I, and I like the way that it's being played here because we get to see Quicksilver and her really kind of fighting like siblings, and it's fun. Pietro is still a prick, and like I said, secretly reporting to Havoc behind her back, which I really like. And Peter David writes Quicksilver better than a lot of people have. I think it's easy for most writers to write Quicksilver like, he's a jerk. The end. That's where his character begins and ends. Here, Quicksilver, yeah, he is a jerk, and he is egotistical, but He's trying to be a better hero and he's doing the right. He's trying to do the right thing. And David does a really fun job with the character writing him disappearing constantly in the middle of conversations. 
where like they show up to a place and Polaris is like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to scout the perimeter. And like, as she's saying perimeter, he disappears from the panel and then <laughs> he's back in the next panel. And she's like, what did you just do? He's like, I scouted the perimeter. It's fine. Let's go. Peter David, coincidentally, I'm sure, is also the one writer credited for adding the most depth to Quicksilver's personality. Oh, absolutely. I, I would go as far as to say he's the only person that's ever written Quicksilver in a way that I care about. The bottom line is that Peter David's really great at character. He really is. At taking characters like Polaris, like Quicksilver, like Gambit, who is in this book, and giving them some depth, making me want to read them. Because truthfully, I hate all three of those characters. And you told me they're going to be front and center in this book. That's not a good way to get me on board. Doug Ramsey, who is Cypher and Warlock from the New Mutants, are brought onto the team with issue six, where we discover Serval's main competitor is a company run by the Magus, Warlock's father. <laughs> but instead of his usual MO of trying to kill his son... He's actually just playing the role of benevolent CEO of this company, and Warlock is working with him. Stock options and healthcare for all employees! (laughs) Well, after the events of New Mutants where he went back into space with the techno-organic virus, he reinfected his people and, like, killed tens of millions of them. So, like, they were reduced to a very small populace, and he basically said this we're not killing our kids anymore (laughs) you know like there's very few of us and he's come he was on earth working with his son and instead of a big slam bang fight we get x-factor overreacting attacking the magus causing a whole bunch of problems tracking him down finding him again and discovering that yeah this is not at all what we thought it was and it turns out he's just running his company He's not really even doing anything illegal. <laughs> you know? And he tells Warlock, yeah, sure, you're free to go with your friends if that's what you want to do. You know, like, go with them. <laughs> and they all just kind of walk out of there bewildered and they have to come back and report. Well, Pietro has to report to Havoc that the Magus is running a company and X-Factor didn't do shit about it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and It's just so much fun. David loves writing these little twists on the superhero trope and I love him. For doing it. He even introduces us to a new character, which I rarely care about new X characters anymore. This one is Georgia Dakai, who herself is a mutant. They kind of dealt with this character, her father, like he'd been around for a while. I'd never really heard of him. I don't know. I'm not familiar with that name. I don't know if he's popped up recently in one of the X books I wasn't reading or something, or in the end of the new mutants run that I didn't read, but he has a mutant daughter. She's been basically live journaling on the internet and cypher sees one of her lives journals and like we got to go get this girl you know she's in trouble her dad's a total prick he lives in this weird bunker in new mexico where they're like working on anti-mutant stuff we're gonna go get her and when they go to get her she doesn't want to leave she's like my dad loves me and he turns out he was hiding her away because he's embarrassed of the fact that she's a mutant and again it's a kind of a touching story and they're building on that now. It, getting into issue 10, we're seeing her meeting her real mother and stuff like that with X-Factor trying to figure out, like, well, we went and took this girl. She's kind of our responsibility now. What do we do with her? David is having a lot of fun with these characters and bringing a lot of emotion and feeling to characters that, like I said, I really don't give a crap about other than Cypher and Warlock. I love Cypher and Warlock. <laughs> and I love them here. But the core lineup, had you told me there's going to be a book starring Danger, Gambit, Polaris, and Quicksilver that I was going to care about, I would say there's no way unless Peter David is writing it. This is a fantastic well, you're in luck. series. I absolutely love this. I'm glad I stuck with it. I hope you guys do too. All right. Joe Patrick, what'd you catch up with? Well, I see that you took copious notes and I took none. Why? <laughs> Why would you take no notes when you're reading upwards of 10 comic books? Because, man, it's all up here. Yeah, this ought to be good. So I caught up on Batman Eternal, which I had dropped after the first few. I didn't drop it on purpose. They just stack up on you. It comes out every week. It's a weekly book. And so you'll find yourself behind in a heartbeat if you're not paying attention. I've read up to issue 12, which, as of this recording, is the current issue. And I'm happy to report that I'm really digging it. There is a lot going on. You've got Commissioner Gordon in jail. For what? Because he's been framed for a, a crime, a train derailment that 
killed like hundreds of people. How was he driving the train? It's complicated. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> it's complicated. Without getting into too deep into details, it, it, he's being accused of some recula- some reckless behavior that caused this train to derail in in the middle of a station, okay. killing a bunch of people. Okay. He's obviously been framed. He's in jail. You've got Batgirl who's losing her mind trying to help him like acting very impetuously and and not thinking her actions through. You've got Robin and Harper Rowe investigating this weird like nanobot infestation in the in the the projects. They, they call them the narrows. Right. It's you, like Hell's Kitchen and God Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. It's like it's the bad part of town. <laughs> You've got Batman running all around the world trying to figure out how Carmine Falcone has come back to take over the Gotham City underworld from the penguin. It's it's there's a lot of stuff happening in this book. And oh, and you also have Stephanie Brown, who is introduced into the new 52, who has discovered that her dad is a supervillain named the Clue Master. Wait a minute. And he and his cronies are out to murder her, and her mom is in on it. So there are all of these different stories that seem like they don't have anything to do with one another, but we know from the first pages of the first issue that took they took place at the end of the story where Batman is in chains on the roof of Gotham Central while the master villain is saying ha 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 it's all worked according to plan blah 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 that somehow these are all gonna dovetail and figuring out how it's all gonna happen like the specter showed up it's crazy what yeah (laughs) uh there's so much going on and almost all of the subplots are compelling on their own like carmine carmine falcone is an awesome villain yeah love him except they've got him wearing these Ed Hardy flower design t-shirts instead of like a pinstripe suit. Ed Hart? You mean like Tommy Bahama? No, no, it's the t-shirt, you know? With oh, the, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he's also wearing like a jacket over it, like a like a blazer. Like so. affliction stuff? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not cool. I don't know how to describe okay, that it. that is not cool. Okay, okay trust me. <laughs> but like, that's not how I think of, I think of Carmine Falcone, Carmine Falcone as like the traditional... Yeah, the the anachronistic mobster like Tony Soprano. They are not even Tony Soprano, like the kind of uh, mob villain that is always in a three piece suit no matter what. Okay, like the Godfather. Yeah, 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 right. Like the Godfather. And uh, but other than that, you know, he still acts like Carmen Falcone. He's got the scars on his face from Catwoman, just like sure he did. And that's a great story. And something's going on with this nanobot thing that's possessing little kids and turning them into zombies. It's crazy. All of these different things are equally fun in their own right. And if they can pull off tying them together, it'll be really impressive. If anything, the least impressive story out of all of them is the one that kicked it all off. The thing with Jim Gordon in prison, uh, like allegedly causing this this travesty and or this tragedy and, and going to prison. And the reason that is my least favorite of all of them is because it requires a level of terrible slash corrupt slash stupid behavior on the part of every character involved right. in order for it to work. It's like just a, it, like WWE level of betrayal. Like, right, where right. It's just like, and, I don't even know why I'm turning on you. It, well, it's, it's like a level of but sim- I am. it's a level of simplicity that is like I get that they're corrupt. Right. Commissioner Gordon's been framed. A corrupt guy is now the new commissioner. I get it. But in the first issue, no one else is there. Commissioner Gordon does something because he's chasing a guy. A train derails. And when the cops show up, they're like, you've murdered all these people. You're under arrest. Yeah. yeah. This is Commissioner Gordon. Instantly. No one's like, hold on, guys. Right, right. (laughs) Not one person. Let's talk about this for a couple minutes. Right. And so you've got to like really suspend your disbelief with that one. Uh, but I, I am enjoying it. There, it's got a rotating art team, and all of the artists they've picked so far have been either really, really great or at least serviceable. There are a couple that are just like your standard, like fill-in guy type artists. Right. But they had a they had a guy drawing it a couple of issues ago. This Ian Bertram guy, he drew Batman Eternal number eleven. His art style is surreal and weird. 
and it does not seem like it would fit in that comic, but it's also so visually distinct and stunning that it was a real risk for them to put him on this book, and I liked it a lot. Jason Fabok draws a bunch of them. Uh, Mikkel Jannon from Justice League Dark has drawn a few. It's a really good-looking book overall, and so I am hooked in now to the story, even though I wasn't really latching onto it at, at first. Like you did with X-Factor, I powered through, read a bunch at once, and now I'm really interested to see how it all comes together to find out who's pulling all the strings and to see what it leads to next. Compared to its DC's other weekly book right now, the Future's End thing, which I didn't lose track of because I got behind. I stopped reading it because it was awful. Yeah. This is actually really well done, and so far they're doing a great job. I'm going to keep on with it. I don't think it's going to last a full year. Isn't it supposed to? All of the weekly books are going to end in the same month. They're oh, going to end in right. April. That's so right. it's it's almost a year, but it, I don't think it'll be 52 issues. Okay. I'm on board. I'm enjoying it. If you want to check it out or if you want to learn more, you can read the Batman Forever recaps that our main man, Kevin Coffee writes for our website every week. I recommend them because it's reading his recaps that made me think, you know what? I need to pick that back up. Hey, all right. So there you go. Okay. Nice A job, recommendation Kevin. and a plug. <laughs> Catching up on the pile is a segment we'd like to do more often, though we wish we were always caught up on our comics. It's true. Let us know what you think of the segment. Let us know what comics you've caught up on that you were behind on, and you know where you can do all of that. The THN Forums. That's right, buddy. And that's what the wild card shows are for. We're going to bounce some stuff off you guys. Let us know what you think of it. We need your opinions. That's right. And that is it for another wild card episode of THN. If you've got piles of unread comics you're using as furniture too, you should subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn where we still need your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, or your hearts because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Thank you to all of our donors. You keep this show alive and kicking. And if you'd like to help keep us in long box sofa sets, you can make your donation in any amount using our handy PayPal button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. It's cute and it's functional. That's right. Like Ikea. Like Ikea. <laughs> and if you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box and as little as a dollar a month. It honestly does help. You know who's a sustaining member? Jason's sexier. That's right, he is. And he's even sexier for it. That dude wrote a book. I can't believe it. Yeah, he did. I didn't know he could read. It's all about comic books. <laughs> While you're there, you can find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, and our Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. Using this visually unimpressive list of resources, you can hit us with your Ask a Nerd comic questions or trivia challenges. You can beg the comic pushers for your reading suggestions. Or you can ask us to review your self-published comic, be it printed, digital, tapped out by Morse code. I don't know what that thing is called. A either. telegraph machine? I think it's called a Morse coder. Or whatever! And don't forget to go sign up for the THN forums. This is your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show. Share pictures of your comic clutter or just rap about comics. You know who sent us a copy of his book? Jason Sexier. Man, that guy. Boom. He's all over the place. That's right. Remember to follow us on Twitter, like our Facebook page, and watch the forums if you want to get in on the Question of the Week discussion. And then be sure to tune in to hear your answers on the Answer of the Week podcast. But if you need more THN in your life right now, get over to TwoEditNerd.com and check out, as I said, Batman Forever by Kevin Coffey. Hey. Ludicrous Speed Reviews by Aaron Myers. If you feel like getting in a fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're feeling scrappy. Yeah, if you want a fat lip. And Saturday Morning Cartoons by our very own The Credible Hulk. He is constantly writing about cartoons from the 90s that I did not watch because I'm old. Some of which I didn't even know existed. It's true. Next week, we're playing Ask a Nerd to get us your questions or trivia challenges ASAP. This week's shout out goes to Keith Silva and Victor Von Zoom and Charles from the Panel Culture Podcast, who just launched a new podcast appropriately titled Ass Pocket of Whiskey. But they spell ass really weird. Guys, I love you. I understand you're trying to censor the name. Don't do it. 
<laughs> I did a search in iTunes, and the and the word ass is prevalent it's, in the iTunes store. I'm saying, just go for it. Ass yeah. pocket of whiskey. No one's going to find it. It's hard to find otherwise. Word to you, cats. Until such times you start stealing listeners from us, then you will be dealt with accordingly. Until next time, true believers. Remember to pre-order your comics, most notably The Life After from Oni Comics. It looks like it's going to be fun because a retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. And if that retailer is Joe Patrick, it might come with tongue. This is the two-headed nerd. We talked nerd. about this already. Signing my, off! My tongue stays in. 